Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear God, thank you for the opportunity for us to gather here and worship together. Thank you for everyone who has contributed to the service this morning, from the musicians, ushers, and our pastor Ryan, to everyone who is out in the congregation. We have much to be grateful for in our lives, particularly the gift of rain in this past week. Help us to remember the blessings we have when we feel burdened by the blessings we lack and help us to understand the world from your perspective rather than our perspective. As Ryan now delivers the sermon, open our hearts and minds to receive your word and may it stir a change in us that we may continually grow. In your loving name I pray, amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. From the time that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So many times I wonder when I'm reading the Gospels what the narrator is up to, why Matthew is saying what he's saying or how he's saying it or why he thought fit to include that particular detail and not some other details that I'm always curious about. But in this case, Matthew has given us what we, what theologians will call the first of his three passion predictions. Passion predictions meaning, hey, everybody, disciples, I'm, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I will be tortured. I will suffer at the hands of men. I will be crucified. And on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. I love Matthew's emphasis here that he began to show his disciples something. Not just tell them, but he began to show them. He didn't just show them one time. 
but he began to show them, implying that he had to show them many times. He had to show them several times. And thanks be to God, he shows us many, many times as well. If this was an easy thing to get, if it was intuitive to human nature, Jesus would not have to show us continually. But alas, he does. And thanks be to God, he is willing. And he continues to show his disciples. So I'm thankful to St. Matthew for that little detail that he began to show uh, reminding us that he will not stop showing us how things work in the economy of Jesus. Matthew knows in hindsight, you know, his vantage point when he's writing this stuff, he knew it would take several passes to get the job done. And I think this is in part because the disciples, just like you and I, had expectations for Jesus. They had a list of things that they wanted in their Messiah just like we have expectations for what we want in our Messiah. If we are honest, the God that we want and the blessing from that God that we want allows us to succeed in life, to go on about our business as we see fit, to make sure that our health holds out as long as we want it to, for our families to be free from suffering or failure, we like the idea of making it on our own. And if we need God, we know where to reach him. It's sort of like we like to have God on retainer. Are these bad desires? Of course not. Of course not. However, if we only got the God that we wanted, according to our human nature, and if we only got the blessings that that God would give us, we would end up with a God who was unable, who was unwilling, to redeem the whole earth. We would get a God, ultimately, who was unable to break the power of sin and death. We would get a God who cannot ultimately overthrow the dominion of evil. The dominion of evil that has cursed the earth and cursed human beings since the Garden of Eden. We would be helpless in that reality. But lucky for us, fortunate for us, Blessed for us, the God that we get in Jesus Christ is capable of crushing the curse of the evil one. We get a God in Jesus Christ who is willing to work out a master plan of salvation precisely because of his great love for us. We get a God in Jesus who is ever present in our lives from before we ever draw our first breath. What a fascinating story where Jesus asserts to Peter, Peter, you are the, you're, you're a rock. You're a boulder among pebbles. And on this cornerstone boulder, great reality, I'm going to build my church. And just, he said, you're blessed. It's like Jesus says, God bless you, Peter. You're going to be the foundation for this whole mess and it's going to be spectacular the gates of hell will not prevail against it god bless you peter and peter hears in that blessing something different you know peter hears god bless you may everything go in life the way that you hope it will may all your problems be solved and may you be delivered from all the people that annoy you irritate you oppress you and cause you any discomfort and so when jesus says hey it's time i'm going to show you guys it's time for me to go to jerusalem and it's going to get rough down there and but just know that this is part of the redemptive plan and I'll be raised on the third day. 
Peter pulls Jesus aside in one of the great scenes in all of biblical history, pulls Jesus aside and says, uh, excuse me, Jesus, that's not how the story goes. You know, you said you're going to build me, and that's not what I signed up for, all right? That's not what God bless you means, okay? God bless you means good things. You're talking about bad things. This will never happen to you. And so then Peter, so he's rebuked Jesus. He pulls him aside uh, because this master plan clearly does not fit with his expectations. And Peter, you know, he wanted, just like we want Jesus, to conquer and to overthrow the Romans, to reign in a way that we could see where we are the winners and they are the losers. And we're finally getting our just, they get their just desserts and we get our vindication and we're on the right side of things and everybody's happy. And Jesus responds to Peter pulling him aside and well, well intentioned pulling him aside. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's in the top five rebukes you know you can't hear it any harsher from the son of god get behind me satan for um you don't have in mind the things of god you're just thinking about things from a human perspective you don't have the mind of christ and then what jesus says and this can't this can't be an accident he says you are a stumbling boulder you're in the way now you you were over here as a cornerstone perfect for construction to start and now you're just in the cotton-picking way. You're like a sawhorse right in the middle of everything else that we're trying to build. And people are tripping over you. You're in the way. You're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. You're a stumbling block as long as you think this way. When Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, do you remember the story? He offered Jesus really good things. Bread, uh, dominion. He just offered them in the wrong way. He offered the wrong pathway. He offered a pathway where Jesus would lose his soul. He would lose his, lose his true self. He would lose his missional identity. He would lose who he was called to be as the son of God. So Satan tempting Jesus, offering good things in the wrong way. He's saying, you know, Jesus, don't you want to gain the whole world? Don't you want the whole world at your fingertips? Isn't that what the son of God means? Don't you want to have dominion? If you'll just give up your soul, if you'll just worship me, I'll give it to you like that. You won't have to go through all that suffering stuff. You won't have to intentionally serve others. You'll be able to just ride in on a white horse and it'll all be good. People will bring you what you need and wait on your every need and we'll all run this thing. It'll be great. It'll be the best parade in world history and it'll work. Just worship me. So Jesus has to affirm to Peter, that you're thinking like Satan. You're thinking like basic human cognition. You're not processing this in view of redemption history. And Jesus says, I don't expect you to understand it all right now. It's a lot. But I trust me that I have redemption history in my heart and in my hands and in my feet and in my eyesight. And I'm headed to Jerusalem to kick this stuff off. And you need to be with me. And if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you too, Peter. In Peter's case, it's going to cost you your actual life. And in the case of so many martyrs throughout the history of the church, it cost them their very life as well. They knew that this was not an easy mission. This was not something you just signed up for for the benefits, and then there was no sacrifice. 
Most of us won't be asked to give our physical lives for the sake of the gospel, but we'll be asked to give a lot. It will be a great cost if we decide to follow Jesus. A glorious cost. Jesus continues showing then and teaching by turning to the disciples. You know, he's like, I've already kind of straightened Peter out. and We're going to give him a minute to recalibrate his compass. And now I'm going to turn to the whole group of the disciples and say, now, here's how this works, guys. This is just a reminder. If anybody would come after me, if you still want to be in the mix, then you have to deny yourself. You have to say no to your way of doing things. And then you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And we see take up your cross and we think the cross for us is a beautiful, is a beautiful symbol. It's a symbol of redemption and it's, it's, it's hope for us. The word cross, you, you didn't even say that word in public in that day because it was all bad. It was just an execution thing. It, the Romans were genius at devising this method of execution. They perfected it over a long period of time and it worked really, really well, which is to say it invoked great suffering on people. And it was the worst way you could imagine dying. And so when Jesus says, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me, that was a staggering thing to consider. Jesus further explains that anyone that would save their life, uh, if, they just, if you just seek to save your life, if you just seek to hold on to what you have, then you're going to ultimately lose what's most important. You're going to sacrifice the important stuff. You're going to lose your soul in search of the world as you want it and on terms that you want. But if you lose your life for my sake, if you give it up of your own will, there's no victims here in this work. If you give it up of your own will, the result is that you will find the life that you've always longed for. You'll find the real life. You'll find your true self not the false self that is always out there tempting you to go a different way. Taking up our cross, denying our false self in order to find our true selves, that's such the work of the kingdom of God. Laying down one way of thinking about things to pick up another. It's the transformation of our very mind. It's a transformation of our heart. It's a transformation of our energy, of our will, our action, of everything that we are and everything that we do. It involves suffering, no doubt. But it's not the kind of suffering that we're just helpless against. It's not the kind of suffering that just happens to us. That stuff is just the brutal part of living in a broken world. We all get that. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. It doesn't matter whether you're following Jesus or not. We get cancer at the same rate as everybody else. It's just being part of a busted up world. But with our will, with our strength, Jesus is teaching us to serve. He's teaching us to lay down our life where there is hunger, where there is hurt, where there's brokenness. And we give and we meet those places and we meet that need and we serve among the most vulnerable in our society. And we're there for our friends when they're struggling and they're hurting. We, we are meeting that need. We are suffering by our own choice and our own will, but not for no reason. We're not just suffering for the fun of it. We're suffering for a purpose. We're laying down our life that others might live. We're laying down our life that others might know the joy of forgiveness. We're laying down our life that people might know that God is merciful. And even in their place of being destitute or being in pain, that God has not forgotten about them. We're 
suffering for the purpose of being friends with difficult people so that they'll know that they're worth friendship. We're suffering intentionally by giving sacrificially. After all, it's Jesus who says, what will it profit someone if they gain the whole world? You know, if you, if you accomplished every goal that you ever had in life, and then you accomplished all the goals of everybody else that you hadn't even thought of, if you, just, if you were the, the, the greatest winner of all, you won in everything you ever did, if you got the entire world, if you gained the whole mess, and yet we forfeit our soul, what's that going to be like? Will we be happy? Will we be fulfilled? And Jesus says, you know, of course not. It's, there will be no profit if we gain in that way. It will be loss. We will lose our true self in the process, and it will be ultimately not what we were looking for. This is what's at stake in the kingdom of God is our finding our true self, finding freedom from the slavery that we have, the false gods. And notice the language of this text. I absolutely love this. Uh, lest we think, again, that we just suffer for fun or that we're laying down our lives and just, gosh darn it, we know it's going to be difficult, but, well, it's just somebody's got to do it. It's not that way at all. The whole passage is couched in this context of profit and loss, gain and repayment. Jesus flat out says, you will be repaid someday for taking up your cross. There will be a repayment when, when I return to judge the living and the dead and I come with all the angels and archangels and when it all shakes out, don't think I will miss anything. The smallest little act of service, the simplest thing that you think nobody will ever notice or nobody ever care about, that one kid that you taught how to read or you told them about Jesus or you prayed with them in a Sunday school class, I will never forget that. And there will be a repayment someday. Right? Jesus is not asking us to just kind of take one for the team here. He's asking us to consider what would it be like to gain? What if we really gained something greater than the whole world? We all want gain. We look forward to the judgment. This is happy news for us. When Christ will return and repay all that has been given, all that has been lost for the sake of Jesus and his mission to overthrow evil and to overthrow death, we all want gain. It's just human nature. It's a good thing. It's inside of us. We all want the church to grow. These are good things. But the real hinge pin of it all comes down to how will it happen? How will it happen? On whose terms will we pursue these goals? Will we take our way, which Jesus has just reminded us, the way of the human mind, which is thinking like the temptations of the devil, uh, where we lose our soul, but we seem to gain some things in the short term. And then ultimately, it's like we're climbing the mountain our own way. And then when we get where we always wanted to go, it's just a steep drop off the edge and the church struggles, we fail, and we've totally missed what we thought we wanted. Or... Jesus says you can take the way of Jesus. You can take the way of the cross. You can take the way of laying down your life. You can give. You can serve. You can have the mind of Jesus. You can think about things as God thinks about things. You can take the way of the cross, which will seem like at the bottom of the mountain because you, you're going to climb down first. You get down to the cross, it's just going to seem like you lost. And you're going to weep with Mary and you're going to wonder what it was all for. 
until the third day. And on the third day, there's going to be an awakening. And then you'll begin to be, instead of climbing a mountain in your own power, you'll be drawn by the presence of the Spirit to the very peak of the mountain, which is eternal communion with God forever and ever, world without end. And in that economy, the church flourishes. That's the way that Jesus builds the church. And it's strange, strange, strange. That's why Paul says, this is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is utter foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, to those who are being drawn from the place of the cross, it is redemption, it's hope, it's the real story. So the good news this morning is that God is so often not what we wish God was like. However, God is far greater. God is far better. God is far more loving, more powerful, and more present among us than we could ever wish for or we could ever imagine. This is the life that we want for those that we love dearly, for ourselves, because this is the only way. This is the only life where we are truly, where grace is truly free and we are truly free. But it costs us everything in response. In a moment, we're going to celebrate holy baptism. And I would invite you all to participate in the service. I would also invite anyone among you who has uh, never been baptized before, or you're considering baptism, uh, to think about that, to talk to somebody about that. Uh, if there's a step in your discipleship that you would like to take and you haven't taken, uh, please talk to somebody. You catch me after the service or a friend, and we can discuss that. For it's here in these waters of baptism that we find our true selves. This is where we discover who we really are the place where Jesus tells us who we are, apart from any striving of our own, we circle back to this font throughout our lives. Every time we see a baptismal font, we should be reminded of where we started, in the same place as everyone else here, our part of redemption history. We remember that we are no longer slaves to the false self or the devil, but we are in fact truly free. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.